Hi, this is Jason, lead pastor at Casper Alliance Church, and we're grateful that you stopped by to listen to our weekly teaching podcast. Right now, this is week six of teaching through the book of Philippians. We're looking at Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. Currently, as a church, we're meeting virtually. You can check us out at casperchurch.com, facebook.com forward slash Casper Alliance Church. Have a great day. Thanks, worship team. I hope you guys are standing at home singing. I know that's weird. I can imagine, I'm not at home, so it's easy for me. I can imagine what it's like with uh, Adrienne forcing the boys to sing <laughs> and, and hearing each other and everybody hearing each other's voices. It, this is, uh, I miss gathering like this. Um, I miss gathering in our big room and having everybody here. It's, it's hard. We're, we're at that point to where we're all missing it, missing it a lot. And so this morning when I got up, um, I've been getting up so late over the last couple weeks. It's like we don't have to get up for school. There's only one day in our week where, where we have an early class for Carter, and that's like an 8.10 or something like that. So, like, our mornings have been getting slower and slower and slower. It is turning into summer at our house. And so uh, this morning when I woke up, I fully expected to wake up like at 7.30, 8 o'clock, but I woke up at 6.00. Like, Sunday mornings, for some reason, I just have to wake up at, like, super early. So I got, I went into my, uh, into our closet area, and I was starting to look around, and, like, what am I going to wear today? What sort of casual look can I put on? And I, I saw, um, hanging up, now, I'm not a Red Sox fan, by the way. Sorry, Scots, if you're Red Sox people. I'm not a Red Sox fan. I am a David Ortiz fan. And so I got this jersey uh, a number of years ago. David Ortiz, if you didn't know, David Ortiz, big poppy. He was um, he played for the Minnesota Twins. And when we lived in Minnesota, I was I actually watched him. I was a big fan of his. I got his autograph. I have it. I mean, it's really cool. I was a, I'm a baseball nerd. I love baseball. And so when I saw my Boston Red Sox David Ortiz jersey sitting in the closet, hanging in the closet, I was like, I really miss baseball right now. I'm going to wear a baseball jersey for church today in honor of what I'm missing. And, and I am. I'm missing wa- being able to watch baseball. I'm, I'm missing watching the boys play baseball and taking them to practice. And, and I'm, we're not even sure if Little League is going to happen here in Casper. I know they canceled the Little League World Series. Um, so we're, we're just missing. I'm missing baseball a lot. And it's like a simple, dumb thing. And so I decided to wear a Red Sox jersey. So it's, it's my casual look. I took off the stocking hat because I got a beautiful haircut. And I put on a baseball jersey. But uh, that's, that's why I'm wearing it, because I miss it. Now, I know everybody's missing something, and, and this is, um, I heard this morning, listen to some other preacher talk about, right now, this season is all about building roots. And it's true, like, the hard times, the hard seasons, the, this is building, building roots. Think about everything that's getting get ready to get planted, anything that you're, that you're planting that's a perennial right now. We're getting ready to plant. You want the root system to be strong so it can survive the winter. And it can, and it can make it through the winter. And this, it's true. This season that we're in right now, the church is building some strong roots. And I know I talk about it every weekend. I get passionate about it every weekend. The church is pivoting and doing well. Church is online. People are hearing the good news. People are hearing the gospel. People are connecting with us as a church. We are connecting out as a church. There are all the churches that are doing that, and we're going to pray for them right now like we do every week. Father in heaven, we lift up all the churches here in Casper and across the nation, specifically even our alliance churches across the nation. And we ask that this morning as 
preachers are preaching, as worship teams are playing, as churches are gathering virtually, that you will bring a new person into your kingdom today, specifically here in Casper, that they will hear about Jesus, the beautiful name of Jesus, and they will commit their ways, their life, and put faith in him. Lord, give the preachers power this morning as they talk in an empty room or a living room or wherever they're talking into a camera. Give them power and authority. Make that virtual connection be supernatural so that people encounter you in a dynamic and meaningful and powerful way. We lift up all of the churches here in Casper specifically. Lord, make your name great here amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I was... This is a root-building time. We are strengthening who we are as a church family right now by, by working through this. We are going to be stronger on the other side of this because of this season right now. We are, we are digging down, digging deep, and today is a great reminder of why we're digging down. And today, like I said to the kids, it's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus this whole time. All the text this morning is about Jesus. So turn with me. This is a week six of working through Philippians. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 this morning. That's what we're going to be working through, 5 through 11. This is a great hymn. You've heard it. It's proclaimed. You'll, it'll be recognizable. This is Paul uh, writing a hymn, a poem to the church in Philippi and reminding them that this is all about Jesus Christ. And then we're going to crank a few blanks, and then we're going to take communion together. So listen to the Word of God through Paul. Having this mind among yourself, which is, once again, my pages are dog-eared. Been in Philippians a while. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, even death he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Last week we talked about unity in the church and that, and that Paul is creating these four pillars of unity that we're supposed to have in order to build this structure so that the church will demonstrate that they are under Christ and unified as they step out and talk. And, and this is where Paul brings in and says the reason that this unity has to exist, the reason this unity is so important, the reason this unity is even capable and possible and, and you have the ability to do it is because of Jesus. So he picks up in verse 5, like he says here, having the, this mind among yourselves, having this unity among yourselves, which is yours only in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus, you can have this unity. Because of Jesus, your mind can be transformed. Because of the unity, you can be conformed to this new pattern, this new way of living, so that the foundation of the church is built up, so that people, when they encounter you, will see and know Jesus Christ. And nothing can stop that strong foundation when you have this mind together. And so it's all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. So our first blank that we're going to crank today, Jesus is my or our example. He's our example. Paul's teaching on Christ's humility, servant-like sacrifice, has roots in the Old Testament. He's actually channeling Isaiah 53 or Isaiah 42 and 49, the suffering servant he's writing in a, in a poetic way here to the Philippian church. 
Though he was eternally and fully God, with all the divine rights, privileges, and attributes, this, the second person of the Trinity, he took on flesh. He became a servant. He emptied himself of heaven and took on the form of a servant to the extent that his servanthood was complete by death on a cross. Jesus is our example of servant leadership, of servant life, of, of humility life, of, of emptying ourselves and having Jesus fill us. He's our example of what it means to surrender all that we have and all that we've experienced so that he can fill us. But let's dig, dig down a little bit deeper and see what, what, what Paul is trying to press in on and push on the people, the Philippian church. See, in Genesis 1.27, um, when, when Moses is giving the creation account, he says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So Jesus was an image bearer of God, but also, so are we, we're image bearers. And so as an example, Jesus came, he emptied all of himself from heaven, and he took on the image of humanity. He took on the form of human, of a servant, no less. Now, he didn't take on the form of a king or a ruler. He took on the form of a servant, a lowly person. The image of God language in the New Testament brings this into focus. Jesus is described as God's imager, the image of God, and believers are the image of Christ. Paul refers to this in a couple other epistles that he writes as, as uh, that Jesus is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says this, In their case, the God of this world was blinded, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? See, what Paul's pressing on in the Corinthian church is saying that because of the God of this age is blinding us, keeping us hidden, keeping us dark, like pulling the veil over our eyes, we have the inability to actually see the glory, gospel, goodness of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, and we're distracted. And so it becomes this, this wrestling match that creation or humanity has to where when we look up, we can't see Jesus because there's a fight against it. And this is why Paul is writing this beautiful hymn in Philippians to remind the church that you have this unity and this life together because of Jesus, 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 Jesus only. Also, he says to the uh, church in Col Col Colossians, he says this in uh, verses uh, one, 15 of chapter 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So when we look at Jesus, we see God. We see God in man coming to earth to rescue us. Now, what does that mean for us to be an example, that he's our example? Once again, I'm going to go back and say, we, do, are we emptying ourselves? Are we holding tight to those things that we cling to, the, the possessions of this earth, the, the stuff that we like in this earth? Are we holding tight to that and not, not allowing Jesus to be our source and our power and our strength. I think we see it now more and more how much we miss the stuff that we have. Dare I say the freedoms that we have, the, the flexibility to do what we want, maybe a zero on our bank account because of job loss. We miss some of those things. These pas this passage here in, in Philippians speaks of the incarnation of Christ. Jesus, the God-man, coming to earth to dwell among us, to make his tabernacle among us. Through this process, Jesus became accessible to us, to our human senses, so we could touch, taste, feel, see Jesus. 
and the disciples talking about it, walking with Jesus, and, and writing about it, and, and actually leading and building the first century church was based on their experience of walking with Jesus. He came to accomplish his plan of redemption on the cross, to offer salvation to humanity. But again, this hymn suggests more than just these little steps I've said so far. Romans 8.29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So not only did Jesus come to rescue and die and redeem us, but he also came so that we would be conformed into his image, that we could be transformed and renewed to look and reflect the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul includes he came as a servant. The language Paul uses throughout all of his letters to the various churches is a call to act as Jesus would, to live like him, to be our example. Jesus is my, our example. Acting like Jesus points to the functional idea of of the image of God. It suggests we think of the image of God as a verbal idea. That the image of God means something, that I'm an image bearer of God by By being an image bearer of God, we work, we serve, we behave the way God would want us to if he was physically present right next to us. Think about it, parents. When you walk into the room and your kids are misbehaving, do they change their behavior the moment you walk into the room? Many times, yes. They're doing something ridiculous. They're building something ridiculous. They're acting ridiculous. And the moment you walk in the room, you have this effect on them so that all of a sudden they straighten up and they clean up and they stop hitting each other with whatever they're hitting each other with and they correct their behavior. It's the same as though Jesus would be walking with us. Are we correcting our behavior as though he is right with us and more theologically appropriately living in us and through us? This is the effect of being an image bearer of God has. Now, I also think, as Jesus, our example, this is my personal opinion, we have that effect on other people. I don't know how many times in my life I refuse to tell people what I do. Because as soon as I say, they ask me, what, what do you do for a career? And I'm like, I'm, uh, I'm a community organizer. Or <laughs> I'm a professional talker. Um, I'm a teacher. Um, I'm a game player. I don't know. I refuse because the moment I say I pastor a church, the conversation changes. And usually somebody apologizes for swearing or drinking around me. I'm so sorry I did that. Doesn't seem to affect anybody in this church. Everybody swears freely around here. Jokes. I'm joking. I'm joking. Kids, your parents don't swear. But it changes. Christians have that effect on people sometimes. But is it the right effect? I do believe that that's why Paul began, continues to say, or he said, coming as a servant. Many times Christians come as this authoritarian figure or this person that uh, deems or judges somebody if they do right or wrong. Instead of coming to wash feet or care or take care. And this is why Jesus is to be our example, that we're to be servants like he was a servant. In Jesus, God was physically present. Thus, we are to imitate or be that same image when we have Christ living in us. 
God wants all humans to believe in Jesus and to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. As Jesus was the image of God, so we must be the image of Christ. In doing so, we fulfill the rationale for all of creation. Why did God create this? To be image bearers. He created us in his image so that we could show who God was. Now, this is a process that takes time. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture says this, 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory into glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. This passage, being filled with the Spirit, is linked to being an image bearer of Christ. But think about this, transformation. We are to be transformed, so Jesus is our example. So as we read this beautiful hymn that Paul is writing to the Philippian church, he's telling us that Jesus is our example. The example is a demonstration to the world that we are image bearers to God himself. And one of the truest ways to practically show this is to live a life of humility and servanthood. The second blank we're going to crank is Jesus, and this is a big one, Jesus is my Lord. Verses 9 through 11 of Philippians 2. Therefore God has a highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. What does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? We say it a lot. Jesus is Lord is a well-known declaration among Christians. We talk about it often, the Lordship of Christ. What does this really mean though? Do we understand what we're actually saying? I wonder if, the, if we answer this just a little bit, that Jesus is God. We say Jesus is God. Yeah, that makes sense. Jesus is our Savior. Yeah, yeah. But it's not to the full extent of saying Jesus is Lord. If you go and study through the Scripture, Jesus is Lord, it is actually biblically breathtaking. And we must come to grips with it. The Lordship of Jesus Christ ought to mean that everything in the universe is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything, let me emphasize, everything is about Jesus. This may sound like an overstatement, but it is thoroughly scripture. From the beginning to the end is all about Christ. It summarizes everything the Bible has to say. It's all about Jesus. Paul does a great job of summarizing this again. Turn with me to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read five verses to you. Colossians 1 is just one book over. Colossians 1, verses uh, 15 through 20. Listen to this language Paul uses to describe Jesus as our Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now you see Paul is repeating again, everything is for Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was all created by him, for him, through him. He reconciles all things. He's at the head of all things. He owns all things. It was created by him. I don't know how to emphasize that anymore. And when Paul's writing this, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that 
Jesus is Lord. This is a critical part of the Christian experience, that Jesus is Lord. In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You will be forced to bow and claim Jesus is Lord. And so when we talk about Jesus here at the church, we're not pretending that it's like this nice little fruity thing that we do. Jesus is everything. It is all that we have, all that we know, and all that we believe in. And this was the Father's design. It's not just our little church thing. This is the Father's design. The entire cosmos was created and is profoundly Jesus-centered. We live, even though it might not feel like it, we live in a Christ-centered universe. And it's because God designed it that way. That is why Christ is Lord of all. This is what Christians should mean when we say Jesus is Lord. The implications of that are staggering. Paul channels the the prophet Isaiah. He doesn't explicitly mention it, but he's alluding to it. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11 says this. You can write it down, Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. That it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put... He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul we shall see, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Out of the work of Christ, the Father's plan, the Messiah, the Lord, he will satisfy and make many righteous. Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. This lordship exists throughout all of Scripture. Romans 10, it's a part of our salvation. Romans 10, 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a fundamental identifier to what it means to be a Christian, that Jesus is our Lord, that Jesus is my Lord. Not only it tells us who Jesus is, but it also reminds us of the relationship that we have with him and the influence that relationship needs to have on our daily activities. So when we talk about Jesus being our example, it moves into Jesus being our Lord, and that influence that his lordship has on our life needs to embrace and, and change and transform our daily activities. We need to look and act and be more like Christ. And I know that's a struggle. It's such a struggle. With one arm, I'm hugging my son, and the other arm, I'm slapping him upside the head. That is a struggle for me daily. One day, I'm encouraging my wife. The other day, I'm tearing her down out of the same mouth. And so we know that. Are we fully transformed? I'm trying day after day after day. And I know that this is a struggle. So as we make Jesus the Lord of our life, he needs to infuse and take over all of our activities, all of our thoughts, all of our behaviors, everything that we have. And this isn't about being judgmental or legalistic. This is about transformation and renewness, to be different, to look different, to act different, to, to smell different to people. So when they come into your contact, they, they only can see Jesus because there is no way any human can act that way. Only Jesus can do that. 
And it's not about you have to do all these things and then you're saved. No, that's not. We, we don't believe in lordship salvation. At least I don't. And we're not saying that you have to jump through 27 hoops. We're saying that lordship, that Jesus is Lord, changes who you are. And it transforms who you are. And it conforms you to be an image bearer so that you reflect the person and life of Jesus Christ in you and the way in which you live. And that is a life that people are attracted to and want to see and understand and go, why are you not so angry right now? Why do you have faith that sustains through this crazy time? Why do you have joy? Remember the theme of Philippians is to live joyfully. Why do you have that? And you can say with unequivocally, it's because the person of Christ is living through me and he has the Lord of my life and he is my example in the way in which I talk and live and act and treat people around me. He is the Lord. He also needs to be our Lord and all that that implies. And this Lordship begins to display itself in our faithful service to him, our obedience to Jesus, our commitment to glorifying Jesus in all that we say and do. With this hymn that Paul is writing, talking about Jesus, we learn that he's our example, that we're supposed to be image bearers, and that we're supposed to come with servant attitude. But he is our Lord. And he is supposed to change us. And transform us. I'm going to read this hymn one more time and go into the last blank. Having this mind among yourselves, Philippians 2.5, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When these things happen, when everything is going to bend the knee, things that were created, things that are in heaven, things that are under the earth, everything is going to bend the knee. We see that Jesus is not only our example, not only our Lord, but he is also our King. We don't like to bend the knee to anybody. That's why we're protesting all over America right now. Let me work. We don't like to bend the knee, but I promise Scripture teaches that at some point you are going to bend the knee to Jesus. Whether you're in heaven or under the earth or here now when he returns, you will bend the knee. Jesus is the king. Before this name, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the king. It was all created for him, by him, through him, because of him, and he's reconciled everything to himself. He is the king. His deity is unmistakable. His exaltation language in Philippians is, is exorbitant. Paul is saying, this is your king. Bow before him. Bend the knee to Jesus. Whether by choice or by force, you will do it. You're going to bend the knee. He's our example. He's our Lord. He is our God. He is our king. But I've shown this video before. There's no better way to explain that he's my king than to watch this video that I'm about to show you. You'll recognize it, but hear all the words that Jesus is. He's our 
king. Go ahead, Frank. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. video it, it is I've seen it probably a thousand times in my life but we can say that's my king and this description of all that Jesus does and is and and continues to do in our lives that needs to be the expression of who we are individually as families and as churches that it's all about Jesus 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 everything we do is because Jesus is transforming us from the inside out that's my king he's our example of how to live our life through humility and servanthood He's the Lord of my life, means he interacts and changes and transforms all my behaviors. And he is my king, meaning I'm going to bow and bend my knee to him. I will submit all that I am to him. And that is why we celebrate communion. 
That is one of the, the, the calling cards of the church that we gather around this table and have communion to commemorate, to celebrate, to memorialize, to be excited about, to, to rally around the work of Jesus Christ because through his work we have life and we should have life abundantly. Life abundantly. And that is not just a, to, a way, it's not church language. It's not just like we are supposed to live in a way that's different. Different. And so as, as we begin to step into communion, here's what I'm going to ask you to do at home. I want you to take, um, take your bread, whatever you've gathered. Maybe it's pancakes. I don't think we have any rules this morning. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, I don't even know, orange juice. But it's elements. It's, it's some sort of bread that you're breaking, something that you're drinking to represent the body, to represent the, the, the cup of the new covenant, the blood of Christ. And we want to celebrate in families. And here's how it's going to go. I'm going to do a couple more things with words. And then we have a five-minute video that's just ambient music and um, some, some image of communion. And during that time, we want you to celebrate communion, to, to do communion as a family, to do communion at your table, however you are, wherever you are, to, to celebrate communion. We know if you love Jesus, you've committed your life to Jesus, you've been invited to participate in this Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion together, because it's a unifying experience. So he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body given to you, given to you. Every time you take and eat, remember me, my body given to you. Then he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant, and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of sins, the cup of the new covenant. For you, for the, for the forgiveness and remission of sins. So as you take and drink, remember what I did on the cross, that I went to the cross for you and was resurrected for you so that you could have life. That's what we celebrate. That's what we get excited about. That's why we gather around the table, and that's what we do as a church family. We traditionally do it on the first Sunday of the month, and we're not going to forsake that today. We're taking communion together. So while you're doing it as a family, this video will go in the background. We'll come back and sing after five minutes or so. Let me pray.